And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Um, well, episode 11, um, is there in truth no beauty? What a good title. Mm, is there in truth no beauty? Well, Aaron, we have made it to the end of Star Trek, the original series. Final episode. Of our list. Of this our is not list. the final episode of the show. Not the finale. Um, last time we watched the Enterprise incident. Um, which I think we decided was kind of like one of those emblematic episodes of the show as a whole. It's like if you just were just distill the whole show, both the good and the bad, the fun, the campy, all of it into one episode. It's kind of those like just the kind of episode you imagine when you think of the 60s show. Which, yeah, is it's good and bad. It kind of make does it a disservice because it's not really anything... It doesn't have a main great thing that it does. It's just like, yeah, it encapsulates, encapsulates pretty much everything about Star Trek in one episode. Yeah. We certainly had fun watching it. <laughs> we had a riot. <laughs> um, this time, I'd like to say we're ending on one of the all-time greats. But alas, we are still in the infamous third season. Third and final season. Um, but I do think this one will be an interesting to watch and go out on. But before we get to that, I guess we should introduce who we have with us here oh, yeah. today. Who's that talking over there? Who's that over there? Uh, Aaron, who do we have on the show with us today? Oh, we have our good friend, Mindy. Hello. Mindy, how the hell are you? I am pretty damn good. So we've talked about on the show, because a lot of people who have been on the show have been former roommates of a couple of variations of the boys' house. Um, and Mindy, you were basically a member an honorary, an honorary member, but you were there so often. It's like no, you're just part of this group, our little commune community that we had. So you're definitely part of the whole thing. Well, thank you. I felt very welcomed at that house, and that's part of the reason why I was there so often is because there was a little community that was full of artists, and the energy there was just exciting to be there. Yeah. So going on that kind of artist thing. Um, I think first off, we should talk a little bit about you as a musician. Um, you are in a band. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what that's like. Like, what's the name of your band? What kind of music do you do? So the band name is Oak and Emerald. Um, it started as just me and my brother jamming out together. And then slowly we have built a full band. Um, so Caesar is our drummer. And Matt is the bassist. And people always ask what genre we are, and I have a hard time articulating that because I feel like some of our songs are different genres, and so it's hard to say. But I, if I had to put words to it, I would say probably like alternative rock, psychedelic, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alt-psych rock. Yeah, something to think, that effect that, with some bendy influences in other places yeah yeah what is it about music that draws you to be a musician i would say it's just the way that i feel it's a way to kind of exit my normal self like my ego driven self and just kind of dive into the divine of what's flowing through me via i don't know the universe or 
something to that effect. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would you describe it? That's interesting. Would you describe it as like an out of body experience to some degree? Music at times, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what and those the- are the best moments when you can just like forget where you are. It happens sometimes when we're jamming and we're just kind of improvising it, and. So nothing's rehearsed, nothing's planned. We're just completely listening to each other, feeling the energy, the vibe that the other is putting off and coming up with something that adds to that in a beautiful way because we all have our input and we're all very different people, but the chemistry between us balances quite nicely, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's the main thing about music is that it, allows me to express myself. I feel like there's not a lot of work that I would love doing. And when I imagine like my dream, it would be just creating music because I feel good when I'm doing that. I don't feel like I'm going after my sole purpose if I'm not creating music. This also kind of gets into one of the other things I really wanted to talk to you about is out of most of the friends I have, you'd be right at the very tippy top of people I consider to be spiritualists to some degree. Like <laughs> how, how, how it, it's such a big term. It's such a yeah. loose term. You know what spirituality is. It, it means lots of different things for different people. For me, it's more of this art and science kind of a thing. But you very much have this kind of spiritual bent. Ever since I've known you, you've always had such a spiritual bent to things. Um, I was wondering if you want to talk a little bit about that, especially with how it, in regards to your music, I know we've had lots of conversations about vibrations Mm -hmm. and I know that's something that touches both on what you love about music and how you connect to spirituality. Yeah. I, I mean, everything is based off of sound and light. Everything in the universe is born from that. So I think that it's one of the fundamental things about our existence is that's how we communicate. That's how we receive knowledge other than your eyesight. That's a way to receive knowledge. And with music, it goes beyond words even. So whereas my lyrics can be very spiritual, it's sometimes the melody or the structure of the song that makes you feel a certain way that can say so much more than I'm actually saying. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked a lot about spirituality. I am so fascinated by it. I'm not one that says like, oh, I know everything. I'm, this is how it is. I am one to take something and see how it feels and be very open to, yeah, that maybe that's a possibility of how things are, you know, I'm not very set, but I do know that certain things feel a certain way within my body that resonate. When I hear something and it resonates within me, I feel like that's truth to an extent. I mean, I don't know all the truths by any means, but I feel like my body tells me when like there's massive truths that are just kind of known within all of us where we hear it and just feel right about it, feel good about it. And that goes down to vibrations. Memes. (laughs) Universal truths. Yeah. 
Yeah, like somebody in New York can look at it and be like, yeah, I, I see where they're coming from. But somebody over in like the southern coast of Africa can also look at that same thing and be like, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that. Or, you know, yeah, there definitely. Are, I think there are infinite truths to be learned. But. And that's why there's so many different religions, but there's kind of base truths within all of those religions. And that's kind of our, I don't know, humanity is kind of. latch on to. Yeah. Be good to That people. most people are like, yeah, that feels right. That feels true. That is actually a good segue into what we're here to talk about. <laughs> wow, it, yeah. Is there, in, is there in truth no beauty? Well, we can't use that. So I guess first off, before we get too much into it, what is your connection in history with Star Trek? I started watching Star Trek about the same time that I first started coming over to the boys' house. Whoa. Seen a handful of the original series. I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen the entire... Uh, next gen and then I've seen a handful of the other ones well so yeah so today we are going to be watching an episode of the original Star Trek of course this is our final episode of the list um, for this first phase of our podcast and this is as I said before is there in truth no beauty and this might be the question to actually just be in our mind for the episode is there in truth no beauty? Um, this aired October 18th, 1968. Um, this was the seventh episode produced for the third season. Um, there are lots of, we've talked about this before, Aaron, there are lots of episodes from the third season con- considered to be just complete and utter duds. Just some of the worst episodes of Star Trek come from this third season. <laughs> it seems like everybody was under a lot of pressure to come up with anything to save the show. <laughs> Please save our show. Well, this is not how we do it. The writer's like, what? Us? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say this is one of those, though. This is one of those episodes, like, so there's this other, because we, we agree an Enterprise incident was definitely a fun, this is a good time, this is an, this is an easy recommend. Um, so there's a couple good ones. There's a lot of bad ones. I don't, there's this other category that the third season has that I don't think gets talked about as much. Um, this other category being this harder to define category, this, what are we to make of this category? Like what, what was this? What did we just watch? What are we like? Where they just you just get something that just kind of like what was this good was this bad but like also what was this what questions did it ask like what yeah what did it make you think about during the episode yeah that comes up more and more as Star Trek goes on yeah what were they what what were they trying to get at with this one what is the big picture what is yeah I'm excited now and the the title of this one is literally a question. There is a question mark at the end of the title. Is there in truth no beauty? Which is a very art, artistic question. Um, yeah, so this kind of falls into this kind of bizarre, or also, like there, there is this third category of these bizarre or surreal episodes that kind of ask you these questions. Whether they're good or bad, who knows? But it gives you stuff to wrestle with. What are we? What are we supposed to make of this? And that's kind of what we're watching. So this one's a, this one's a little more abstract and I, but I think this is an appropriate last note to go out on for the original series. Um, this idea of 
what are we to make of this? What is Star Trek stories? Yeah. And so especially like since this is our last episode of the original series, I think we can also use this episode to talk about the complicated legacy of the original Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we to make of this? It's easy to say, well, this is dated or this is amazing. This is Star Trek. The original Star Trek so often ends up in this either just, it's so dated. You can't watch it anymore. Or it's so groundbreaking ahead of its time. What exactly now? So now what if we have these two extreme poles, what are we to make of this show? And I think this is a good episode to kind of try to talk about that while also looking at the question itself posed is there in truth no beauty? All right. So for all of you at home who are listening, this is your invitation to watch along with us. Um, you can find all the episodes streaming on Paramount Plus. If you bring up Star Trek, the original series, you can find it under episode three, episode five. And we will all be back after we watch this last episode of Star Trek, the original series. benevolent the Medusans are supposed to be. Isn't it suicidal to deal with something ugly enough to drive man mad? Why do you do it? I see, Dr. McCoy, that you still subscribe to the outmoded notion promulgated by your ancient Greeks that what is good must also be beautiful. And the reverse, of course, that what is beautiful is automatically expected to be good. Yes, I think most of us are attracted by beauty and repelled by ugliness, one of the last of our prejudices. At the risk of sounding Prejudiced. Gentlemen, here's to beauty. To Miranda Jones, the loveliest human ever to grace a starship. How can one so beautiful condemn herself to look upon ugliness the rest of her life? Will we allow it, gentlemen? Certainly not. Thank you. How can one so full of joy and the love of life as you, Doctor, condemn yourself to look upon disease and suffering for the rest of your life? Can we allow that, gentlemen? to whatever you want the most, Miranda. My goodness, what an interesting episode to watch, right? Yeah. Like I said, what are we to make of this? I've been trying to figure this one out for a long time. What the hell are we to make of this? Well, let's start with some initial thoughts. Mindy, just having just watched it, what's going through your mind? What are we, what are we thinking? 
I'm fascinated by the Medusans. That was one of my first thoughts is that I wanted to kind of dive into their reality, what they are like, because it kind of tapped into that a little bit, but not a lot. So I'm really interested to see how they function being formless. It, like, is there something like in terms of like the perspective, the experience of being such a thing, the yeah. lore? Yeah, exactly. How day to day life would be like what for it, them. Yeah. What's it like to be a Medusan on? Is it planet Medusa? What do they call the homeworld? They never. They never. They just call. I think they just say the Medusan homeworld. I don't think they ever just fly. It's Medusa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the name is unpronounceable in your in your tongue. Yeah. In your reality. Mere humans cannot comprehend. <laughs> there's a Medusa. there's a character in Rick and Morty in the first season that's a lot like a Medusan. It's funny. They end up calling him Fart. Fart. He's like Fart. <laughs> I like this name. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like um, yeah. So they, for those interested, the Medusans do show back. This is the only time we have ever seen the Medusans, right up until most recently. Star Trek Prodigy, in that one of the main characters is in fact Medusan. We have never really even, I don't think they've even referenced them. It's just been always this one off race until most recently. Now they're a main character, and you do, by that nature, it does flush them out a little bit because you get to see, like, this is what it's just like to be. They're just one of the crew day to day. So you just get a sense of, like, oh, this is what it's like to be a Medusan. And they do have, like, a voice rather than this, like, Kolos is such a silent. Yeah. mysterious presence and character the whole yeah. time until the, except for the Spock scene. Right. Um, but otherwise it's like, what is Kolos? You kind of, I, I think this episode is good at creating like a sense of curiosity. And like when she says in that scene near the beginning, what does he see in you that I don't see? I think part of you as an audience is like, yeah, what's, what, what is it about? What is it to see that and yeah. be able to understand it to some degree? Fascinating stuff. Um, Interesting. Yeah, Aaron. Oh, man. What an episode. I'm having trouble processing it all still. Um, I had moments of, of revelations in the episode that as they come up again, as we're watching it on mute, I, I'm sure I'll think about stuff. But right now I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a trip. Uh it's really good science fiction. Let's say I love the out there stuff that, that has really detached itself from our reality to some extent. Like the writers maybe went on a trip themselves or something and, and really saw something in space that, that everyday people don't get to see. And you get to see the glimpse of that, like in episodes like this, this beyond Um, quality. mm Mm-hmm. How do you describe it and put it into words? Quality mm-hmm. of just going out in the cosmos and just, oh my God, like literally the, finding themselves in this nether space. Finding creatures that humans can't even perceive on a, on a physical level, right? Like it's out there. There's, we've proven that there's so much in the spectrum that we just don't even see with our eyes or with our senses at all in the cosmos. So the possibilities are like, are there for a creature like this. Absolutely. And that, that stuff is, it sends me on such like, rabbit holes in my own brain. I like um, what Miranda says about 
is it too ugly for us to see or is it too beautiful? Yeah, mm-hmm. what is it to even say? She does bring up what is it even to say what is ugly? What is mm-hmm. ugliness? No, Just something that we can't perceive without going crazy. Something you can't appreciate or understand. So it's like, mm, it's ugly. Yeah. It's more of a state of mind rather than something actually being ugly when in fact the thing itself might be beautiful. Yeah, it does seem like a, a very uh, human imposed adjective to describe the Medusans. Mm. Right? They would describe it as ugly, but it's really not the case. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, but seeing it from the bird's eye gives you that view that maybe they don't get to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it's it's such an interesting conglom- conglomeration of things. This one strikes me as being particularly like philosophical in nature. And every once in a while you'll get these kind of, there are some that are very like political, some that are very like sci-fi, high concept, some that are very like campy, you know, but the pew pews. This one strikes me as being specifically a very like, this one's all about these like ideas they're trying to throw at you. Um, I th- it's also, I feel like a tale of two cities in some way. And like, there's so much interesting stuff they're throwing at you to make sense of. And I've seen this one since I was a little kid and just always been trying to make, what, what are they trying to get at with this one? Um, and there's all these like ideas and like, it makes you think about something, you know? And so on one note, I feel like if the goal of stories is to make you think about things, I think this succeeds. Mm-hmm. If, if you're just looking at it in that purest of sense, just to make you consider things, I feel like it'd be really hard not to watch this and for whatever reason, not have you stop and like have, make you stop and think about something or some things. Um, but then there's also this weird 60s sexism angle. And I think this is interesting, Aaron, to also talk about. Because so this, is, this yeah. is not the first episode we have talked about this. And it's almost been in every single episode, it just, I think, it pops the sexism up, angle. It pops up like a, a genital wart, honestly, <laughs> on, on the ball sack of Star Trek. Yeah. Especially the 60s show. <laughs> Especially the 60s show. It's like, God damn it. It's, it's so sad because her character is so complex and they're just treating her with such disregard, especially in the dinner scene. It's, it's, it's very much this, the whole story almost in every scene almost explicitly objectifies her as a woman. An attractive woman. An, a, an attractive woman, absolutely. And that's all they can see her as. Yeah. And it's, which is kind of bizarre considering uh, the high logic that we see from them in other situations. But for some reason, this woman, they're like, oh, they just go full monkey brain. <laughs> full monkey brain. But then also to the point of accusing her that it's like, you also might be the most ugly woman who's ever existed. Like some of that end speech that Captain Kirk gives her, then it is really mean. Mm. Yeah. Really mean. Well, it's full on assault. Yeah. How he just storms in there, grabs her and like throws her against the wall, verbally just (laughs) shouting at her. Yeah. But you know, here's what I think makes this episode stand apart with some of the other stuff. Cause like I said, this is not the first time we've commented on the sexism of the show. And we've also, when, 
we were talking about private, a private little war a few episodes ago in that Kirk makes a very problematic decision and the episode just kind of leaves you with it. Doesn't really question it, but it does. It's like Kirk doesn't seem to question it. And that was, we said like that kind of really complicates this episode in this episode. He goes in there and basically assaults her, but I don't think you see what happens after in almost any other episode. He comes out and immediately says, you're right bones. I should not have gone in there. Yeah, he instantly is like, I made a huge mistake. I made a huge mistake. Yeah. Oh my God. He's like, she was super vulnerable. She and was, I just went in there and I, we have not seen this kind of reflection on Captain Kirk. I don't think until this point in our, he just came to that realization. He's like, Oh, she was, she was blind. She was actually blind. And I, I just grabbed her and she was probably fully terrified and not listened to a word I said. Yeah. I just thought yeah. I knew better. Right. Great. Good for me. Captain Kirk. Way to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He should, and he should feel shitty. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I guess that's good segue to talk about Miranda Jones, Dr. Miranda Jones. She's so much at the focal point of this whole episode. I think like there's all these big ideas about what is beauty and what is ugliness. You know, they set her up to be the antagonist for the episode and kind of call us to a little bit later, but I don't know. I just, I ended up feeling so bad for her about halfway through, uh, just her situation. It kind of felt like she was being manipulated from Kalos as much as mm. she was being patronized and, and assaulted by the Federation, you know, like she is in a tough spot. Uh, but then in, at the end she ends up getting what she wants. So I guess that's good. Her and Carlos are all okay and copacetic at the end of the day. But, man, I don't know. I, I did feel pity for her in the episode, which is the thing she hates the most. I know. How could you not? But then she says, I hate that the most. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so sad that she feels like she can't be in a relationship with a human or even being around humans for too long because of the emotion that's projected all around her. It's too intense. It's too much. And so she would rather go live on another planet with different types of beings to actually be able to live a normal life. That's not overwhelming to her. Yeah. That's an interesting, an interesting angle for her. It's like, cause they do paint her as this, like she doesn't connect with humanity to some degree, they are correct. She does feel very distant compared to some other people. Yeah, but that's like, I mean, she is, but it's it's just a misunderstanding of her situation, you know, like I just, or in, in a misunderstanding of the Medusans. Uh, they just can't quite comprehend that headspace, that uh, pure energy space that they exist in or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's a shortcoming on behalf of humanity. Maybe that's part of what they're trying to say is, is for all this awesome starship tech that they have and all these awesome missions that they go on that we still fall short in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting things about Miranda, like I said, we, we've definitely seen some sexism before in the show. And the show doesn't really just seem to address it in any kind of way. I guess going into when when we first set up the episode, also talking about like this show's hard to make this episode's hard to make sense of to some degree. 
and the 60s Star Trek can be hard to make sense of to some degree. And specifically, so the 60s show has this complicated legacy with its female characters. Is Are they a little more self-aware in this one? Just because I think the actor does a good job, but something about Miranda Jones, I feel like she is given so much fucking masculine bullshit from everyone. She, for the most part, though, seems pretty confident saying, mm, fuck you. Yeah. Like, she's nice to everyone, but there's also just like, ew. Get the like that scene with Captain Kirk where he's just trying to charm her, and I feel like in almost any other episode we would have watched up to this point, she's just like, oh, but in this episode she's like, are you fucking for real? Like, yeah. how nice? Thank you for taking me to the garden, but fuck you. Yeah, just so she took it genuine too. At first she was like, oh, so, oh, what a nice gesture. I've never been to Earth, and then it devolved into that. Yeah, she was enjoying it when she was like, oh, these flowers, I've never seen them or smelt them. And then she realized, oh, this is what this is. You're hitting on me now. Nice guy moment, trademark. (laughs) Right. So it's interesting, weird to see how, it's interesting to see how she was, she is portrayed because I feel like there's a lot of problematic elements, but her character seems to be pretty like strong and self-possessed. And I feel like she does have her flaws, but like it's interesting to see that compared to other female characters who've been on the show up at this point, she does hold her ground much more against others. I'm like, is this is this the show being to some degree self aware about it? Is it or is this completely accidental? Maybe it's it's the the writers in the room that are women, hmm. like having their say and like getting like because I notice a lot of these characters have a chip on their shoulder about it. Uh, when the men do say some shit like that, like uh, the scene where they're all having drinks, right? She she really just lays it on the table. She's like, I wonder if you're happy like treating death and disease, doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah? You feel good doing that all the time? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh shit, okay. I'll shut my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. It does seem a little more... You see it kind of in the pilot that we watched in the very first episode mm. with Pike, with the first officer. Mm-hmm. And the comments they make about her, her reactions to it are very genuine. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would you say that? Yeah, especially yeah. where we are on the bridge. Yeah. Right? Very inappropriate, sir. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't seem to just sit there and take it. She's very... But they almost treat that like, well, you're so combative. That's part... Mm-hmm. Oh, it's almost like... They try to portray that as that's a, as that's how they perceive a flaw for her. But I'm like, when I watch this episode, it's hard for me to see her as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that how much of that is intentional? That's there's this weird thing about this being a 1960s show, and it's like, how much of this is them trying to have her come across as the bad guy, but actually she's she's secretly who you're rooting for the whole episode. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is intentional or not intentional. I, think I never saw her as the bad guy. No. It's almost like they tried to paint her off as one, though. In but at ways. no point was I not rooting for her the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, in some ways. In some ways, I think she's just like just the pure antagonist because there kind of has to be one to create drama in yeah. the TV show. You in know? a narrative sense, she is. And if it was Kalos, I don't think you would buy all the all the out there stuff that they're trying to portray, all the concepts they're trying to make you think about, all the ideas they're trying to throw at you. It would just be like, oh, Carlos, bad. 
non-corporeal beings bad, mm-hmm. you know? So maybe she's in there as like a, a smoke screen almost to help you swallow these ideas. Mm. And the main thing they saw as bad about her is that she did not want Spock to do the mind meld. She wanted to be the one to do that. And in a way, it's like, can you blame her? She had already spent so much time with them and gotten to know them at least a little bit because she's blind. She can actually, and because she's a telepath, she was able to communicate. And so it, it's just her sense of curiosity and adventure that made her want to be able to be the one to do that. So I can't blame her for wanting to have that opportunity. Especially when everyone is also acting the way they are. Like, and there's like, oh, now you can't be with Kolos. Fuck you guys. You guys have just been telling me what to do since I got here. And fuck all of you. Like, <laughs> as if I don't like own. And if I don't deserve what I've been given, fuck all you guys. Mm-hmm. And goes and takes it anyway. Yeah. Because you're blind. Good for her. Because you're blind. Yeah. And that's also an interesting element when that kind of, they pull that switch on you. You don't realize for, ha- for more than half the episode that she's been blind this whole time. Which is a really cool tech idea, like the sensor web that helps her perceive like almost as if she did have sight to fool everybody. To more precision than actual eyesight even. Mm-hmm. And they're still disregarding her even like she's like telling them, I can tell I'm exactly one meter and four inches away from the wall. Can you tell me that? You know? Yeah, that that's definitely an interesting angle because it does give her they the sudden vulnerability you don't realize that she had before, but really quick she is, it's like, you think it's a vulnerability, but this is actually a strength of mine, you know? And maybe, and maybe in this instance, she still isn't the most qualified person because of like the, the, the situation at the moment. Um, but, but the whole episode, they've been shortchanging her, you know, it's like, okay, wow, guys, you caught me in the one instance that, I was not the person because she didn't have the the navigation and understanding of the Enterprise yeah. that she needed to in order to get the ship out of there, and that was Spock. And that was the only reason why they're like, it has to be Spock. Um, but even then, like she, out of everyone, she is able to admit, I have also learned something, and I'm even stronger now than I was before at the end of the whole episode. She does come like walk away just like, you know, and this is not to excuse like any of Captain Kirk's measures or what he did or anything, but she does walk away with saying like, I was jealous and you're right. I, despite it all, I, I still was jealous and I did not, I did not want to see that. Now I do. And now I'm even better than I was. Thanks. It kind of felt like, her and Spock both appreciated the gift of being able to be joined with Kalos so much that they were able to put all the rest of it aside. They were yeah, like, you know exactly. what? The good so greatly outweighs the bad. Like, it's all good, man. I've moved on from all this and I'm, and I'm streets ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She came out the other side like, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the what's the term in Spanish? Mikasa su casa. So this is the episode that gives us the idic, which is almost the Star Trek motto. It's infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And they do have that line at the end where 
now that they've all achieved full understanding with each other, mm-hmm. the glory of life is in its infinite diversity and in the ways our differences combine to create meaning and beauty. Which when people say now, Star Trek's getting too diverse, I'm like, are you fucking high? Right. <laughs> Did you watch that third season episode? Listen is there in that. truth new beauty? Um, that, was a, that was a really good line. They've, they've been working on that for a while, waiting to plug it into the right episode, I think. Beautifully crafted. It's, yeah, it's kind of like the unofficial motto of Star Trek. And people, a lot of people latch onto that, though. But there's some, inter- there's some interesting background to it in that this, that whole idea was not originally in the episode. It was added later by Gene Ronberry, who, even though he was pretty distant at this point, he still, from time to time, got engaged with the show. He wanted to, the badge that Spock is wearing, he wanted to sell that as merchandise. On and for as official Star Trek merchandise, and so he's like, We should put this in the episode. And he still had like executive producer credit still, so he could w- throw some weight around. I want to put this, th- this seems like the perfect episode for this. I had this idea for this thing called the Idic symbol, and it's Vulcan, and it's their whole philosophy it's an infinite diversity and an infinite combination. And he did a rewrite of the script where the, all that stuff was heavily peppered in into it, and then all the actors got pissed, they're like. It was great the way it was. It was fine the way it was. What is all of this? You just want to sell shit? Gene? (laughs) So they greatly reduced its presence in the episode to the point where it is. To the point where now, but it's funny because it's like, it actually kind of fits into what they're talking about. And now it's gone on to become like the motto of Star Trek. It's very strange. So he was on to something. He just, it was a little too much. Yeah. Okay. His approach is all wrong. Yeah. Much like Captain Kirk. It was very beautiful. Very poignant. And what was the star that Captain Kirk had on his shirt? Was that like the Earth? So Captain Kirk, I think what... So Captain Kirk's got a few commendations. Captain Kirk also has the Medal of Honor for Starfleet. He's one of the... he's He's a living recipient of the Medal of Honor. So he does have a little something special. Like the little... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be a Medal of Honor that he wears because they do say he's got one. Oh, okay. Like, so let's talk about a little about this idea of is there in truth no beauty? That question, the philosophical implications. Like the front and center of this episode, there's a, there is this idea of beauty. Um, and, you know, and that scene with both Miranda, who the script gives us as being beautiful and desirable, but like distant. And they also gave us Kolos, the the Medusan, who's supposed to be insanely ugly, but is full of like love and peace and harmony. And that's kind of how they almost tackle like this dueling concepts of what is beauty and what is ugliness. How do we think? So what is that? So in this idea of is there in truth no beauty? Maybe the truth looks ugly to someone who's not ready to perceive it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going oh. to toss that out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, some kind of perception thing. Mm-hmm. Which goes ties back to beauty is in the eye of the beholder, of course. Which is the oldest of cliches. Probably not the oldest, I don't know. That's interesting. It kind of... It, it, it brings up all these questions of beauty being both seemingly transcendent and also p- 
potentially very superficial. And those are very huge extremes. And I feel like to some degree they do talk about like her being physically attractive, but that, that blinds everyone to just like her, her real self. They're just so captured by her idea of beauty when she just like, I can't even see people like that's the last thing she cares about. It's the last thing she cares about. When she even when they go in and talk about the flowers, she even says they're like little clues they throw in there where it's like, can I touch? She says, can I touch them? Not can I look at them? Can I can I touch them? Um, it's I a don't much smell anything. It's a much more perceptual thing, a, a different kind of perceptual thing for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are all so obsessed with her like outward physical beauty and it doesn't even come into her. And it's like, how could you possibly want to go be with someone like this? They can't, they can't fathom it. This ugly thing, Mm -hmm. but really is one of the most beautiful experiences that it seems like Spock has ever had. He didn't want to disconjoin Mm. that mind meld because it was so awesome. And that's all she really wanted in the end was to be able to experience the Medusan mind to understand it more. Mm. And that's the real beauty is finding out the real truth is that it's not ugly. It's just perception. Mm. Spock and Kalos were quite literally a they, them for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And us. Yeah. And he did, he, Leonard Nimoy, what an incredible performance uh, trying to embody that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even attempting it, he did such a great job. He really embodied it really well. Um, that was something else. Yeah. Shout out to Leonard Nimoy. Just <laughs> does not get enough praise. And I mean, he gets all the praise, okay. still doesn't get enough. Are you it. sure? <laughs> I think, I think, give him gets. more. Leonard, who? Mm-hmm. Um, I love, you know, I, I, I hope to some degree the writers had some idea of what they were doing. Cause I feel like this episode to some degree is surreptitiously, surreptitiously showing this ugly side of mankind specifically in masculinity um, and how she deals with everyone and how they deal with her. And especially in this idea of what beauty is and they all just seem Spock seems to Spock seems to get it. And she genuinely has some jealousy saying, stuff with him but Larry Marvick Captain Kirk Dr. McCoy even Mr. Scott they're all just so like you're hot how could you possibly shouldn't you want I think Kirk even or it's either Kirk or Bones or they have this line of like yeah but shouldn't you want to just physically be with a man isn't that what you should want as a woman like as a good woman yeah it's Kirk and at the end when she has the connection with Kolos it's like yeah. And Spock, he's like, yeah, like it's just, there are things that are much more beautiful. Yeah. Than How do that. you know that that doesn't transcend the physical aspect of being human? Right. Or even some kind of like gender thing or like being a man or being a woman. And shouldn't you want to be with your kind in a certain way? It's like, she just wants to connect. Yeah. Everyone's like accusing her of like, you just want to run away. And it's like, all she wants to do is have the most like poignant connection 
with someone that you could possibly have. That's her motivation throughout the whole episode. You don't understand. You just don't understand. But if you could, it's the most beautiful experience of your life. Yeah. And that's why I'm so distant with you is because my dopamine is all focused on that, right? They're just bigger things. But why don't you try being a woman? Right. (laughs) She's like, bro... <laughs> I'm not even in my body right now. <laughs> um, it is interesting, and it it it's. I feel like in some ways it's a it's a, an appropriate note for us to go out on for the '60s show. Just like some really interesting ideas, but caught up in some problematic elements of the time, and just feels like such a, a an appropriate note in the sense that. It has a very complicated legacy. There's lots of interesting, cool ideas out there, but it's like, then there's this other stuff. It's like, hmm. So forward in some ways and so backwards in other aspects. Yeah. I'm glad we're finally starting to move on from some of that in media and culture. Yeah. At least having the conversations, you know? Yeah. It's, it's been a hard, long fight. Yeah, again, like we've talked about, I think it would be silly. As as groundbreaking as the show was to say that Star Trek has never improved upon this would be silly. Mm. You know? Mm. Well, it's come so far. It's, and yet, you even look at, like, the newest, one of the newer shows, like Enterprise or, or Strange New Worlds even, like, the sexism is still there. Still, still there. But it is a little more equal, I think. There's eye candy on both sides, at least, which is something. It's yeah. not the most healthy thing or whatever, but <laughs> it, it's a more equitable uh, future. Yeah. Um, and maybe appropriate in the sense that if beauty's in the eye of the beholder, it's like Star Trek, the original series is beautiful within certain context. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of an interesting idea. Just depending on how you look at it, it's going to be more attractive than it will be from other angles. Lots of cool colors, lots of cool concepts, lots of great performances, and then some of this other stuff. You're like, God damn. Mm-hmm. So stuck in the time that it was in. Stuck in the past even for its time. I think historically, going in with the right context, historically valuable. It is important to see where we've come from and to see where we are now. Mm-hmm. It's it's not even necessary to say things are better. It's just valuable to have something to compare now to. And I think it's one of those things we can compare it to now. It's like, this could be better. It's like we were talking about truths. Like we see the truths that are inherent in ourselves that we, we see the shows like this and the sexism and, and what have you that pops up. And we feel that as wrong within ourselves. I think that's a testament in itself to how far we come. Definitely. I feel like in a lot of ways, in, in a strange meta way, this is an episode I would recommend to someone. I feel like there's enough interesting things about it to recommend. But is this the most, ex- like, I think there's a good, this is good to have this as the last episode of this original series. Like, I wouldn't recommend this first. Um, but even compared to say something like when we watched, the last two episodes, Atlanta of Troyes, which had some very problematic sexist stuff. And then we watched the Enterprise incident, which also had some kind of interesting sex gender stuff with like the Romulan commander and everything. I feel like in a lot of ways of the last 
few episodes we've watched, this is the most interesting. This has a little more to offer and for you to like walk away with in terms of like, not only to think about what the episode was about, but to also consider where we are in storytelling and how we approach some of this stuff now. And I think this episode is kind of valuable and kind of pointing out some of that stuff. It's very creative in going past humans. Mm -hmm. What else is out there? What's the beyond? And I think that's creative to come up with that character. Yeah. Kolos. Mm-hmm. And this nether space that he, his, his being takes them to. Yeah. And then he has to get him out of it. And it seems entirely probable that there are beings out there that are uh, without a body, just that are just so an different. essence or an energy. Almost incomprehensible. Yeah. Sulu had a lot of intense looks. Did he have any lines? Well, not many. He, he made it into the episode. Some of the, the camera shots are pretty wild in this one. How they try to... Yeah. This episode, I think they are trying to play this idea of perspective. And then they do this weird... You're trying to look at like the insanity of people and... I love the... the fish weird, island. When she's trying to connect... like There was some weird, interesting stuff going on when she's trying to connect with Spock and break him out of his like insanity. Oh, those quick shots of her and him in space. And yeah, trying to... Pers- like. I think if you really pay attention, they are trying to communicate a through line to what's going on there. It's all this kind of weird, but they're trying to imply like this telepathic. Yeah. They cut back to like their lucid moments where Spock's really trying to focus on engaging with her and stuff too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is a little story there. Yeah. And by the end, it's more just with her in sick bay rather than in some other place. Like he's more grounded with her in sick bay, which is where he needs to be. And like they all communicate that with weird kind of crazy visuals and these weird shots of like, it's almost like he's trying not to see her presence. So you get these weird like shots of her kind of from a weird angle, like trying to eye him down. But then it's suddenly just like more, as it goes on, there are more shots of just her just directly looking at him, you know, and he can't, he's he can't look away now. And and then like, she's trying to put her hands and he's trying to like uh, put her hands. Yeah. Also there's the, the Spock shot where he, it's like Spock eye view and he's kicking the enterprise bridge crew's ass. Yeah. And, it, and you can clearly see that it's just Spock next to the camera. Yeah. Like, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of other little bits of trivia for this one. The role of Miranda was originally supposed to be, have been played by Jessica Walter. Wow. From arrested development and other things. Archer. There's that, oh, there's that cool. famous movie with Clint Eastwood. I can't remember the title. <laughs> other <now>. things. <laughs> and other things. Um, yeah, what is... What? Misty. Play Misty for me. Is that the name of the movie? With Clint Eastwood? Never heard of it. Yeah, she's like a... He's like a radio DJ, and she's like a call-in person who becomes obsessed with him. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's this whole kind of like thriller. Play Misty. She keeps calling him, play Misty for me, and she becomes obsessed with him. So I had no context, so I imagined... A Western with Clint Eastwood and Jessica Walter. Mm. That's the movie I want to see. <laughs> yeah, she was supposed to play it, but she was unavailable, so they got um, Diana Mulder. Um, the title of this episode comes from a 17th century English poet and clergyman, George Herbert, from his poem, Jordan, who says that fictions only and false hair become a verse, is there in truth no beauty? Um, 
<laughs> End of episode. Noise. <laughs> Noise. Um, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Mm. Mindy, you got anything? I really liked her dress. <laughs> that sets her web dress. You commented on it. And I was like, oh, wait until you see what it, it, the dress actually is. It has is, a purpose. It, it has, has a, a purpose. Beauty. Like, but it's, it's really not just pretty. a cool looking dress. It's a great idea. It's a great example of showing off this cool aesthetic thing. Like, what is this cool dress? And then, oh, it's actually her sensor web. And that's how mm-hmm. she communicates with the world. And you were supposed to have noticed it. Smart. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Starfleet lost an incredible starship designer in this episode. Shout out to Larry. That'll be Larry Marvick. Rest in peace. Yeah. Designer, one of the designers from the Enterprise and went insane. Uh, Poor guy. Yeah. Poor man. (laughs) (laughs) To love you is to die. And then he died. (laughs) Lawrence. Well then, um, Mindy, thank you for coming and talking about this one. I thought this would be a fun one to talk about with you. Yeah. Thank yes. you so much for having me. This is fun. Oh, such a good episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. And I had this. never seen it before, so this is all fresh. I was ho- I was like, I don't I don't know every episode you seem like. My guess is she has not seen this yeah, one. Yeah, you're right. But this one would be a fun one to talk about with. Um, yeah, we, we, we want you to come back and do more. So Hell yeah. We hope to see you again in the future for a little more Star Trek. Let's yes, do please. it. Let's do it. Um... All right. Well, this was our last episode of classic 1960s Star Trek, Aaron. And we watch the movie in a couple days? Yeah. Well, we've got a few things coming down the line. Oh, yeah. Um, in the pipe. So, yeah, this may be our last episode of the original Star Trek, the original series. This is not our first, or this is not our last look at classic Star Trek. we still got a couple more things coming up. How could it be? They show up clear up until, what, uh, 2009 or yeah. In a Darkness? Hey, George Takei was just in the last episode of Lower Decks, so right up until now. So present. Present. Yeah. Today, years old. Um, now there's actually a couple There's actually a couple of um, little standalone things that still have the original crew. So next time, um, we're going to be looking... Uh, our one and only episode of Star Trek, the animated series. Um, Star Trek was canceled in 1969. Um, and then suddenly out of nowhere, it makes this weird comeback after it gets canceled, where once it gets put into reruns, it becomes a huge hit. And suddenly they realize, what do we do? Like we have, we actually suddenly have this huge hit on our hands. It's off the, but we canceled it. So this was their first attempt to bring Star Trek back after it got canceled in cartoon form. And they get all the original actors and everyone to come reprise their roles. So Full Scooby-Doo animation style. Yeah. that's It's, it's awesome. That's what we're going to be looking at next time. And I think it'll also be a little bit of a different episode, um, a little bit of a different dynamic. You know what's fun with the animated show is they really get to do some some crazy out there high concept episodes that you just don't get to see in live no, TV. No, no, they don't. Um, so we hope you come join us for that little look at Star Trek, the animated series. Um, and we'll see if it carries on the legacy of the original show. Um, until then I'm Jaren. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mindy. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs>
See you next time. Oh, God, that was so bad. So bad. <laughs> One of these days we'll have an outro. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched, you can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.